Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. Last weekend was cold. I told my daughter I was going to have to take the air conditioner out of her bedroom window as it's fall and the temperature at night here in New Hampshire is steadily dropping. My daughter likes it cold, so she'd been putting off me removing her air conditioner for as long as possible. When she and my wife went out for an evening walk, I, I saw my opportunity and I, I pulled the AC out of her window with both arms and carried it down into the basement where we keep the air conditioners during the frigid New England winter months. I, I then went back up to my daughter's room to shut her window. And after pulling the window closed, I looked down at her bedspread and saw something small and furry and brown in color. Thinking it was a stuffed toy, I attempted to pick it up, and the furry thing went, Aah! And then I looked down and realized it was a bat! Yeah! Its wings were spread, its body was a little bigger than a field mouse, and its mouth was wide open as if waiting to bite into anyone who tried to remove it from the blanket. I screamed, and then I jumped off the bed, but I knew what to do. I, I went directly into the master bedroom and grabbed a towel, and I threw the towel over the bat, wrapped it up, and ran downstairs and out the front door with it. And I shook out the towel, and the bat flew away into the night. When I turned to go back into the house, I found I'd locked myself out. True story. Folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. There are no ads on the show, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some quality fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my books. I'm the author of ten novels that are all currently available worldwide via Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my titles in ebook format, at Google Play. My latest book, The Peeper and the Playwright, was just released last month. I'm very proud of it. I've gotten some great feedback from folks who've read it, and I encourage you to check it out. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Listeners, this is episode 250 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. If you've listened to new episodes of this podcast at all in 2022, there's a good chance you've heard Rachel's chart chat. For the majority of weeks this year, Rachel Hathaway, a.k.a. Rachel from Des Moines, has produced a weekly 10-minute segment wherein she takes a deep dive into two pop charts from the past and reveals songs that may have been overlooked or forgotten. Now, Rachel often provides background information and pop culture trivia surrounding the artists and the songs. 
Since adding Rachel's chart chat segment to the People Are the Enemy podcast, the show has had a notable uptick in listenership. I'm sincerely thankful that Rachel is a part of the People Are the Enemy family. And without any further ado, let's speak right now to Rachel. Let me see if I can do this without hanging up on her. Rachel Hathaway, are you there? Rachel from Des Moines, hello. Hey, Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's good to hear your voice. It's nice to be live on the phone with you for a change. Yeah, this is exciting. Instead of our our faux uh, throw to and from each other. Yeah, absolutely. This is really special, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me. This is really, really cool. I um, absolutely. I uh, I I wanted to ask you. It's it's no secret you have a passion for music, especially hits from the seventies and eighties. What what kind of music were you exposed to growing up? Well, uh, with my parents, my mom loved the oldies from the sixties specifically. We listened to the local station, uh, KIOA, that played, at that time, kind of late 50s into the very early 70s. Um, since then, there's kind of been the decade creep on oldies stations, but that was what I was listening to, you know, in the 80s and early 90s. And then um, my dad loved, uh, you know, blues and country and rock and listened to a lot of classic country with him on a station out of Fort Dodge, Iowa. Um so yeah, it's some, it's, I really didn't get into the 80s until I started riding the school bus to kindergarten in the fall of 1986. Very cool. Now, did you did you find you, you were exposed to music around the house mostly, or was it while you were driving with your folks? How did they how did they tend to listen? It seemed to be a lot in the car. Now that you mentioned it, most of my memories are with with them in my mom with in her car, my dad in his truck. Yeah, my most of my music memories are are in the car. The car is a great place to listen to music, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I yeah. think so, too. You got the, all the speakers kind of all really close to you and, you know, all playing simultaneously. It's a, it's The car is, it's like a little a little sound booth, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Pretty cool. Now, in addition to being a fan of listening to music, you also play mallets, bells, and percussion. Uh, what sparked your interest in, in playing percussive instruments? Um, my, when I was in band in middle school and in high school, I originally had played the clarinet, and a friend of mine named Faith played the bells and played percussion. And then she um, decided not to do band her senior year. And there ended up being quite a few uh, percussionists that were not you know, either graduated or didn't choose to do band. And we ended up with only two drummers going into the fall of my senior year. So our director kind of threw the word out, does anyone want to switch instruments and play some percussion? And I'd always kind of had my eye on those bells because Faith made it look so fun. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll do bells. And that's kind of where that started. And um, I had played piano since about first grade, so I knew, you know, the layout of the keyboard, and I could read music, obviously. So it was a matter of just kind of learning the technique with with the mallets. Very cool. Do you still play? Uh, yes, I'm involved in a group called the West Des Moines Community Band. Uh, it's a volunteer organization, and we uh, meet on Wednesdays to rehearse, and we tend to usually have our concerts on Wednesday nights as well. We play uh, mainly at uh, nursing homes around the Des Moines metro, but we also have played at the Iowa State Fair probably for the past 10 or 12 years now. Um, and we play at the, the West Des Moines, uh, has their own farmer's market in Valley Junction. We've played that, we usually play there a few times every summer. Oh, very cool. Very cool that you were able to do that. Yeah, I really enjoy being a part of it. It's I didn't play music from when I graduated from college for a few years, and then I heard about it in the newspaper, and I knew I wanted to get involved. Awesome. Awesome, and you were were you able to pick it back up with without without uh, 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 too much um, having to go back over what you'd learned. Yeah, I think by that point it was pretty well ingrained, and 
unlike with the clarinet, they have the term like embouchure or, you know, wind instruments where you're having to hold your mouth in a certain way. Yes. If you can, it's, I, I think the grip of the mallet is a little easier to get back than maybe that, you know, position with your, with your mouth to make the sounds. Right on, right on. Very cool. Yeah. I played, I played trombone from like fifth grade right up to my first year of, of college. So yeah, oh, wow. the percussion, percussion instruments were always fun to play with. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of that grass is greener a little bit because you get to be in the back. You're away yeah. from the director's eye a little better. and Yeah, Yeah, very cool. Very cool. But I always tell people, you know, we have people in our band that put their horn in the closet for, you know, 30, 40 years, didn't touch it, and decided to come back, and they jump right back into it. So I don't want to give winds any uh, wind players any discouragement for joining, you know, a band in their area if it's been a while since they've touched their horn. Very cool. Awesome. Rachel, you maintain a playlist on Spotify for the chart chat, and you've you've mentioned you listen to countdowns on streaming Sirius XM radio. Do you do you do you collect any music in a physical format still, or do, do you have you gone strictly strictly digital? For me, it kind of depends on the band. Like my top two favorite bands are Yes and Rush, so I do tend to still buy their physical releases, just kind of as a collector. Um, and I seem to get stand-up comedy albums physically because, you know, you're buying at the end of the show and they have something there that they can sell you, that they can sign, you know, you have your memento. Uh, but I do buy, uh, you know, purchase some music on, you know, the iTunes store. I, do, I don't, I, I'm not like, I don't, I'm not fully only Spotify. I do still purchase some music streaming or yeah. uh, digitally, I should say. Right on. Very cool. Yeah, I heard something about iTunes going away, but I, I, I assume that they're still up and running, you know. I'm probably using the old antiquated terminology. I think it's like the Apple Music Store. Now. Oh, is that they what they call it, it now? Apart. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just, sometimes I get in these little like Luddite modes where I'm like, this is as far as I want to go technologically. I'm going to stay here until they absolutely like kick me off. <laughs> so I still literally, I still have iTunes, the application on my computer. Yeah. Even though I think you're supposed to have Apple Music by this point. It's so funny. Yeah. I've got an old, old version of iTunes on an old laptop that I still use to convert music from cds to my yes. ipod I, and i have so important yes yeah yes. and i won't update the uh the itunes either because i know i'm afraid that if i update it it's not going to let me do what i want to do with, <laughs> with yep, i'm the exact same yes yes <laughs> you know so we are we, maybe we're the last two rachel who knows <laughs> rachel uh during your chart chat segments you've mentioned karaoke is karaoke something you do regularly you know, I'm kind of out of it now, but I have a good friend that's a great, great singer, and she would be kind enough to invite me out. Uh, this is pre-pandemic, of course, and I could always count on her birthday as being a time to go do karaoke. Um, there was a bar we like to go to in Ames called the Fox Lounge, and they had a really fun karaoke night. Um, so I, I, it was something I enjoyed in my younger days. I, I don't just don't get out as much anymore. Do you have? Did you have a go-to karaoke song? Um, one of my faves was Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. And oh, I like excellent. That one because there's not like, it's not repetitive. It's you're singing, you're rapping different lyrics the whole time. Like I feel sometimes like on karaoke songs, I'm like, let's cut this thing to the bone. I want to be up here for as least amount of time as possible. No 48 instrumental break, you know, no long intro and no repetitive lyrics. This and Paul Revere, people know it. They get it gets good reaction from the crowd. That's pretty wise. Those your your thinking behind uh, going with that song is is pretty interesting. I like that. Good choice. Good choice. I, I've never tried that one. I don't think I've ever tried any rap uh, uh, doing karaoke. But uh, yeah, I'd be down to try Paul Revere. I think I could handle it if only because I've heard it so many times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you can, that's another one you could bring up with a buddy because you know they're Beastie Boys. There was three of them, so it's kind of unfair to have one person try to do all of their lyrics with just you know one voice. So yeah, very. You can always cool. rope a friend into that one. Very cool, Rachel. You attended high school beginning in the mid. 90s and finishing in the late 90s. Now, I, I associate that time period with a lot of indie rock, but I get the feeling you were much more into mainstream pop music. Would, would I be correct in that assumption? Uh, kind of transferring from mainstream pop to just like listening to classic rock on the radio was kind of my thing. Um, I can kind of chart, this is silly, but um, the when Weird Al has his polka medleys on each album. Yes. I can I can say like okay the one on Bad Hair Day I knew all of those songs and then from the whatever the next album was I think Poodle Hat or no Running with Scissors I'm sorry I didn't really know like any of those ones because I had just switched over to the classic rock station and do- dove into like you know Led Zeppelin and Journey and Heart and Sticks and Speedwagon. So every, while everybody was listening to like Bjork and uh, Radiohead, you were listening to those bands, those other bands. Yeah. Very cool. So I think people have this idea, like you get to a point, you're like, pop music, I've done as much as it looks I can, I want something else, and people go in different directions. You know, they go towards the Smiths, or, you know, like you say, Bjork, or these different things, and I happen to go towards classic, classic rock. rock, and I did, I won't say I was teased for it, but people would, you know, when it was, uh, if it was my turn to pick music, like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to listen to, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Right on, man. Rachel, what was the first concert you attended? The first like big sta- you know show I went to was uh, the Christian rock band Jars of Clay. They played at uh, oh, Hilton Coliseum in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, cool. I, I grew up, you know, going to church, and so that was. It wasn't like I would not have been allowed to see a secular band. That was just kind of one of the first big bands that came through. That you know, I had new friends that were going that was, you know, I think I actually went with my church youth group. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Yeah. I remember that band. They had at least one hit that was, you know, that was big in the nineties. I don't know if they had more than that. I think flood was their biggest kind of mainstream or crossover type of hit. Okay. All right. I feel like I can't really hum it for you, but I feel like if we both heard it, we'd go like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say not long after that, I went to Des Moines with a friend to see the Steve Miller band on their last call tour in 99. And that was the first thing that I went to. It's a little more unsupervised, shall we say. Okay, very cool. How was that show? That was a great time. I really loved Steve Miller Band. That was another one that kind of like, I tell you what, my I have a theory that there was, if you had this sort of predisposition to get into classic rock, if you really liked Aerosmith and you liked that Get a Grip album, yes. that's what kind of got ki- kids my age switching over to classic rock because I kind of was like, I was digging them. I started listening to classic rock. I really loved the Steve Miller band. I think I had his live album and that it was kind of the transition point. Okay. Right on. Very good. Hey, Rachel, I understand you're all right. Again, through listening through to the <laughs> chart chat, I've, I've, I've gathered yeah. that you're a fan of the Simpsons. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Do, yes. Do you have a favorite uh, Simpsons episode? I think I really loved the um, 32 short films about Springfield where it was all just like little quick kind of vignettes and then they did all tie together at the end. Um, it's that one that has, they kind of parody Pulp Fiction a little bit with uh, Chief Wiggum and they're talking about what they call a crusty Burger in France. Um, the, and uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It has all the little snippets at the very you know, end. I can't, the, the tall I can't man say, in the car. And, I can't say I'm a huge Simpsons fan. I see, I've uh, seen episodes here and there and I, whenever... They'd have like a musical episode, and they still occasionally have a, a musical artist or parody somebody. 
I think sure. the last one I saw was one they they did uh where they they make, kind of made fun of Morrissey and his uh, his uh, uh. I don't know if you saw that one recently, but they showed Lisa falling uh, falling in love with uh, a character uh, that was supposed to be like a Morrissey esque character. Sure. Uh, his image in the eighties and then having him kind of showing him now and kind of uh, being corrupted. And it was, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it was. That's it was, really. I mean, that's kind of. I know the Simpsons have always explored like many different topics. So that's kind of deep to get into that. Like, especially to, was a, working on the angle of like, at least as a vegetarian, as you see, was seeing this person. Yes, like, that was exactly it. Was like she was sensitive kind of like, and she, she, she saw these, these, she was watching these old music videos of this, uh, idyllic, yeah, sensitive fellow, uh, yeah. you know, and then, and then trying to discover him in the present day and finding out that he'd kind of turned his back on all those things that he had, um, he had seemed to be true to back in the day. And again, it, it wasn't, they didn't use the term, they didn't use the name Morris. He was used under a pseudonym. And I believe it was one of the guys from flight of the Concords who wrote all the songs and music. Oh for my it. gosh. I have to go find this. This sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it was interesting enough. I think that more like that, uh, Morrissey's manager commented on it and, oh. and, you know, critiqued it and was, wasn't happy about it. And then I, I read it in some music news and said, I, I've got to seek this out and see it. And sure enough, it was, it, it lived up to the hype. It was pretty, pretty amazing and kind of on the nose in terms of the 180 that, 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 you know, his, his personality has seemed to, to have done over the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. It's pretty shocking when I've read statements that he's made and, and it's not even like, oh, that was, I was ignorant and I, it's how I used to think. It's like, no, this is what I'm totally heading toward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, oh man. But uh, pretty good, good for the Simpsons though for kind of uh, utilizing yeah. that. And uh, it, it, it was definitely, yeah, like you said, it was definitely subversive, I suppose, in that. But I've never seen 32 short, 32 short films of Springfield. Is that what it was called? Yes. Okay. I, I might be, I'm, I'm going I'm to give myself a margin of error or plus or minus two short films. Okay. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Rachel, a lot of the songs on the chart chat are from movies that were popular at the time. Do you, do you have a favorite movie soundtrack? Um, one soundtrack that I really loved, it doesn't really fit in with the question, unfortunately, is the Jawbreaker soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah. The 1999 movie with uh, Rose McGowan yes. and um, Judy Greer. Yes. it's got. Um... I got into the Donnas from that soundtrack okay. and a lot of other, there's just like a cool girl uh you know female punk bands on that one yeah there's that band from the with the guy from uh imperial teens on that yes yes that's how i first heard of imperial oh, teen yeah, i yeah, love yeah. imperial teen oh my gosh their first album is dynamite if you ever if you ever track it down the one with the uh okay. the dolphin on the front oh my god all my, right my friend <laughs> i'll warn you though because my friend was a huge uh, prog rock fan he was a huge fan of rush and is a huge fan of rush pink floyd and whatnot and he bought it because he heard the guy from Faith No More was in the band, and he did mm -hmm. not like it at all, and ended up giving me his copy, and I ended up like ah. falling in love with it. So I don't know. <laughs> again, it's not. So if you get into it thinking that you're going to get something along those lines, it's thick again. But if you get into it loving that song, Yoo-Hoo, I think it was called yes. Yoo-Hoo, that was from that yes. Jawbreaker soundtrack, uh, then you'll dig it. You'll find something to love there. <laughs> Very cool. Very nice. cool. So, Rachel, um, I, uh, I, you and I talked about doing the chart chat live, or at least half of it. We wanted to do the '70s live, and uh, I was hoping we could do that now. And uh, yeah. I've queued up the songs, and I'll warn the listeners that I, I have all the songs queued up uh, in Windows with uh, from YouTube. So, if you hear uh, <laughs> an advertisement for a local. Uh, local New Hampshire politician, <laughs> then, <laughs> then that's on me, and I'm sorry, but I did my best to queue up all the songs, so I'm hopeful that 
Rachel will talk about the songs. I'll play a little snippet, and then we can we can have some fun talking about them. Uh, but uh, we're gonna try that now. So Rachel, I'm gonna hand things over to you, and I will be <laughs> ready with uh, with the YouTube windows over here, and uh, and you tell me uh, tell me when you're ready, and we'll we'll uh, we'll do it. Okay, super. Um, so this chart is from October seventh of nineteen seventy two, and starting off at number ninety nine is Foghat with their cover of "I Just Want to Make Love to You." Okay, here's a little bit of Foghat's "I Just Want to Make Love to You." I'm just I'm gonna fade it out right there, right Sure, there, so sure. Yeah, trouble. that's perfect. So um <laughs> this song was at number eight ninety-nine this week. It would eventually have a peak of eighty-three. And uh close listeners will recall that we had a live version last week in seventy-seven. Very strange coincidence. Um I had listened to the studio one, I had got my dates confused. So I ended up, you know, this is one, like I say, I've been a classic rock listener since the mid-90s. I probably heard this a million times. For whatever reason, it really just spoke to me, and I really love that, especially that intro. It just sounds so good. Um, the funny thing about this one is that that live version made it to 33 because at that point they'd had smash with uh, slow rides, so people were very much more into Fog Hat. Um, so I mentioned that this song was a cover, and the original artist, uh, excuse me, the original uh, the songwriter was Willie Dixon, and it was recorded by Muddy Waters, and that was on uh, the Chess label back in 54. And then, uh, did you know there's another... Uh, Fairly well-known cover version of this one, Andy. No, what was the other? What was the other cover version of this one? So, Etta James, who's uh, best known oh. for "At Last," okay, uh, yeah. she she had this song as the B side of that single and on the, on the album uh, back in 1960. Okay, yeah, this is the one that you and I had talked about briefly before we started recording. Yes, and yes, you had me because that Etta James version was used in a famous uh, Diet Coke commercial. Yes, in '94, it was the 11:30 Diet Coke break. And I don't know if the listeners remember this ad as a, kind of a flips a script on, you know, what would you call it? Objectification, maybe a little bit. Yeah, but, like you know. sort of like like um, like fellas um, cat calling at like a construction site when a exactly. beautiful woman. Yeah, walks yeah. By. So this yeah. is instead of the women walking past the construction site, this is the woman in an office building watching a construction workers take off. He's taking his taking his break he's having his diet coke taking his shirt off just relaxing and having a nice time and so yeah. they all have timed their break to to watch, check him out but yeah that was that same song and her version is totally different from hogat's and they're probably both pretty different from muddy waters so i think it's just cool that a song can have different lot take on different lives like that yeah and, pr and pretty progressive for 94 you know there was really no you know it didn't play into any comedy or anything like that it pretty it played it pretty straight from what i saw in the commercial and first view yeah anyway. it wasn't trying to be like oh they're just like these lonely old you know, ladies. No, they were, yeah, they were vibrant like young like women. Having yeah. Fun, loving, having fun. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. What's, what's up next? <laughs> okay. Number, at ne up next at number 66 is Think About It by Lynn Collins. And there's a certain spot I want you to play. I think you have that queued up. I do. I do. I'm going to play it now. Are you ready? Yeah. Listeners, you'll, you'll recognize this I, or some of you will check it out. Here it is. <laughs> Faded out right there. Yeah. Very cool. 
so when I heard that, like I said, about a minute 20 into the song, I was really excited. I texted my friend Jill. I was like, you got to listen to this. Um, this is mentioned on, you know, so many, or excuse me, sampled on so many hip-hop songs from the 80s through the 90s into the 2000s. The most recent one, I think, is listed as 2022. And um, I, for me, I the first one I think of is uh, Rob Bass and Easy Rock, It Takes Two. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, is is that uh, is that Clyde Stubblefield playing the, the the drums on that? Do you know? Oh boy, I don't know. That maybe that's so, a little. That's one for for the listeners to get back to us on. I, I yeah, I, I I did read that it was written and produced by James Brown, and it's on his label. Yeah, and you can kind of hear. Him, I assume that's him shouting in the background, or maybe not. But it did sound yeah. like him a little bit. I'm not sure. It doesn't have the personnel on here. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's a super good no, question. No worries. But maybe the listeners if, uh, who have a sharp ear could uh, could jump in on the comments and let us know. Yeah. Did you want to move on to the next one, Rachel? Uh, yeah, that's, I think, I think the song is a great song apart from the sample, but I think that sample is kind of gives it that immortality. Oh, know? for sure. Yeah. That's, 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 that's lived on. If you, if, if what you said is, and I believe it to be true, is, is that, well, it's, it's lasted well over 50 years, right? Or there. Yeah. Events. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, up next at number 60 is all the young dudes by Martha Hoople. All right. And here's a little bit of that. I hope. All right. Very cool. I mean, I would love to play more of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we were talking cool. about what clip to include. And I was like, well, that beginning is just so iconic. Yes, I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, beautiful song. So yeah, that was uh, performed by Martha Hoople, written by David Bowie, and then he also performed it live in the starting in the '70s, and it appears on some live releases of his. Um, a studio version was not released until '95 on a compilation that was the mono and then it finally came out in stereo on 2014 but i think it's definitely very closely associated with david bowie would you say yeah absolutely i saw david bowie on the earthling tour i think that might have been in 97 or 98 or maybe oh, wow not. but but i saw him on on moby's tour when moby did that area one festival I don't, okay. know if you, I don't know if you remember that, and uh, but he did that right around the time that uh, he had that "We We Are All Made of Stars" that that song. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And, yes, and yes. I saw Bowie then, and then I saw him again uh, when he was touring Earthling, and he performed that song. He performed all the young dudes. I think he might have done it as an encore at a small oh, club sweet. in Boston. Yeah, it was quite a, quite a show. What a what a performance. Uh, okay, what do we got next, there, Rachel? I wanted to say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you had more to one. say about Mata the Hoople, please go for it. The first thing I ever, time I ever heard that was in Clueless, the movie Clueless, and it was, where it was covered by World Party. And there's a great rendition that was done for the David Bowie 50th birthday concert with uh, David and Billy Corgan. And oh. they changed the lyrics a little bit. And I think I had that downloaded from, you know, LimeWire or something. So I think, I feel like I know those lyrics a little better than the, the real lyrics, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. All right. Very cool. At uh, number 49 is Easy Living by Uriah Heep. Here it is. This is a thing I've never known. 
Wow, very 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, Uriah Heep is an English band. I, I feel like there might be one of those that kind of gets, people just think they have a silly name or it's like, you know, maybe they get them confused with Jethro Atoll or whatever. And for a long time, I only knew a couple songs of theirs where I feel like I dove into them a little more and came to appreciate them. Uh, this was off of their album Demons and Wizards, which has an album cover art by Roger Dean, who is best known for his Yes album covers. Um, oh, and I want to say this one cracked the top 40 in the U.S. It made it to number 39, and it was their only top 40 hit in the States, but they were more of like an album rock band. They're, they're more known for selling albums than singles. I was going to say, like, when, when I first heard that song, uh, it reminded me, and I told you this, of uh, Blondie's Call Me. Yes, bit, yes, yes. It's so, you can totally do a mashup, I bet. Yeah, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. You're right on with that. Oh, I wanted to go back just a second. That, that all the young dudes was a number thirty-seven in the in the states. All right. And our next song I wanted to mention is at number twenty-nine, uh, Shy Cold Train with Thunder and Lightning. Here it is. Cool. Pretty, pretty song. Beautiful voice. Yeah. Yeah. I wish that she had more success because I feel like she, her voice is so amazing. If she could get like the right material, have, you know, have some more uh, great stuff out there. Um, she also had a number one hit in the Netherlands with a different song. And there's a weird f- fact of uh, Chicago, the band, have also a song called Thunder and Lightning. So if you try to search for either one, the other one will pop up. Uh-huh. And I don't know why they would do that because her song was pretty famous. And this is like only a few years later that they were like, you know what? We want to sing about, and it's it's not even a cover. It's a totally different song. Yeah. And I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that her name is, is, is Shy or Chai, C-H-I. So yeah, yeah. they obviously get confused. Wow. And she's from Chicago. So oh no. Even, you can't even oh, have Oh man. So her career is like, it's almost as if her career was totally eclipsed by Chicago. Yeah, I don't oh, know. Dear. What were they thinking? Yeah. <laughs> but that one made it to number 17. And I, for me, it's like, when I heard it, it felt familiar. If I couldn't have said like, oh yeah, I know who that is for sure. Or I know the, the singer, but it has that good familiar feeling to it. Uh-huh. Right on. Very good. Okay. Just a couple more from the 70s. Um, at number 17 is You Wear It Well by Rod Stewart. Here it is. I have nothing to do on this hot Classic Rod Stewart right there. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. I remember my stepfather had this album. He played this all the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that what it was, Rod, one of his favorites? Yeah, he liked Rod Stewart a lot. He liked the Rolling Stones, Frank Zappa, some Lou oh. Reed. Yeah, he had a pretty nice record collection, actually. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. This is probably my favorite song of his. I think I really just love the lyrics. I love kind of the, you know, looking back on a lost uh, past love and kind of a little self-deprecation in there. Um the only thing is that I'm weird because I really greatly dislike his song Maggie May, and this is basically just that song with different lyrics. <laughs> it's, the sound of them is very similar. Yeah. Um, and the 
um, there's an interesting parallel with our 85 chart where DeBarge have a song in 85 also called You Wear It Well. Again, not a cover, totally different lyrics, just with that same title. Just to confuse everybody. I think so, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and that one, this, this song made it to number 13. Maggie Mae was a number one hit uh, for Rod. But this was a UK, uh, You Wear It Well was a UK number one for him. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. And, yeah. And then the last one I just wanted to mention, we don't have a sound clip for this, but it's a Play Me by Neil Diamond. And it's at number 11 this week. And that would be The Peak. And I think I first heard about this one from, uh, were you ever a Dave Barry reader? Were you a Dave Barry kid? No, I, you know, I see so many Dave Barry books because I, I frequent so many used bookstores. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I always think to myself, someday I'll get into Dave Barry. And I probably will still. But uh, no, I can't say I w- I, I'd ever been into him in the past. No. Do you read okay. a lot of Dave Barry a lot? Uh, Dave Barry a lot? Yeah, someone gave my either my mom or my dad his book, Dave Barry Turns 40, when they turned 40, and I read it, my brother read it, and it's just kind of that, like, you're a kid, and you're reading, like, oh, this is something, not like that it's adult material, because he has sort of famously immature humor, but it was just anything we could get our hands on that, that was funny, I think, and he was obsessed with bad songs, like, he would have his readers write it about, like, do a poll of what's the worst song, and he seemed to have slightly a vendetta, not a vendetta, but he didn't like Neil Diamond, but the, whenever he would say anything bad about Neil Diamond, it was like the equivalent. It was tw- Twitter mob before Twitter mob, right? All the Neil, the Neil Diamond fans would write in and tell him like how wrong he was. But he did admit that he liked uh, Play Me because there's a long a, a line where he says, the song she sang to me, song she brang to me. And I think if you get real hung up on that that's not proper grammar, you're not going to like it. But if you kind of just take it in the spirit of the song, yeah, yeah. you know. It's just that, you know, the emotion overrides the, the logic, I guess. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Is that it for the 70s chart? Yeah, that's all that's uh, that uh, that I have prepared I, for us today. I really yeah. appreciate you doing doing the show, talking with me, and I appreciate you doing the, the, uh, the 70s chart live with me. I think this was a lot of fun. What we're going to do yeah. now is I'm going to I'm going to pass it over to Rachel in the future <laughs> yeah. in her home studio with the 80s chart. So take it away, Rachel. Well, thank you to Andy and me from the past. I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, one of my favorite parts of hearing the assembled episode is always when you have comments for the picks. And so it was really fun to be able to discuss that uh, together with you. For our 80s chart, we're in October 12th of 1985. And starting off, we have at number 95, Michael McDonald with No Looking Back. And this is from his second solo album of the same name. It was the first single. Uh, this song was co-written with Kenny Loggins and Ed Sanford of the Sanford Townsend Band. Uh, Kenny Loggins also had his own version of the song, which came out on his Vox Humana album earlier in 85. Between the two of them, I feel like Michael wins easily. Just the tone of his voice and the subject matter of the song, you can tell that he's been through something like this and it comes across in his voice and his performance. This song, I think of it as kind of a, it's a joke to say, oh, sir, that's my emotional support whatever but it really feels like you know when you're ready to move on from something or just uh, thinking about times like that i first heard this song on my friend mason's radio show cruise control on the minneapolis community radio station kafi that was a show he did that which was uh, yacht rock west coast and other smooth music and staying in minneapolis at number 87 we have everybody dance by tamara and the scene and when i heard this i thought this definitely has that uh, Minneapolis sound when I read up on them I saw that they had been produced uh, the you know the band the group was from Minneapolis and they were produced by Jesse Johnson who is guitarist for the time 
Tamara was a stage, Tamara was a stage name for the singer Margie Cox. And I read that she is still active in music. She still sings with a band in Minneapolis uh, at a club every Saturday night. Uh, this song made it to number 24. At set number 77 is Diana Ross with her song Eaten Alive. This song was written by Barry and Morris Gibb and Michael Jackson. And uh, he, MJ sings back up on it as well. And as far as uh, MJ and Diana Ross collaborations go, this one is way ahead of Muscles. But, you know, it's never going to be ease on down the road from The Wiz. And 77 was as high as that one would get. At number 66 is I'll Be Good by Renee and Angela. And that's another one that I first came to know of from the GTA Vice City soundtrack. And I learned that the two of them, Renee and Angela, got together as a duo in L.A. Also, in addition to putting out their own albums, they wrote and produced songs for other artists. I'll Be Good was their highest charting song on the Hot 100, but I read that they had two R&B number one hits. This would make it to number 47 on the pop charts. At number 48 is Cheech and Chong with Born in East L.A. And 48 was as high as this one would get. Uh, this is off of their final album, Get Out as a Duo, Get Out of My Room. The song is a parody of Born in the USA, but it also interpolates a little bit of Randy Newman's I Love LA. It tells the story of a Latino man that's picked up as being a suspected undocumented immigrant and deported to Mexico, and he has to find his way back to the United States. The song is basically turning that racist, ignorant question of where are you really from that unfortunately many people of color probably get asked. Uh, kind of turn that on its head, making a joke about it, putting, tending the awkwardness back to the other person. And uh, it's, they later turned it into a movie of the same name that Cheech Marin wrote, directed, and starred in. And I remember that, was, that came out in 87. And I remember seeing the VHS of that at my local video store. And in the, on the cover, he's kind of like holding apart barbed wire fence. Like he has to sneak through the fence to get back into the United States. But as a farm kid, I was I knew that would be very painful to have to try to do that for real, as opposed to an illustration on a VHS cover. And honestly, not to get completely off topic, but I would be very surprised if there's not a movie podcast out there somewhere that's people remembering VHS or DVD covers of their youth and then watching, finally watching the movie to see what they think. At number 14 is Freedom by Wham. This is not to be confused with Freedom 90, which was technically a George Michael solo song. I think they're both great, but I feel like Freedom 90 kind of gets more, it seems to be more known, or you hear it more often in, in movies and TV shows and stuff, but Freedom is just a lot of fun too. Uh, this one made it to number three in the United States, and it was number one in the UK. This was off of Wham's second album, Make It Big, and it was the third single, and it was written by George Michael. And our last song from the 80s, at number five, it's Stevie Wonder with Part-Time Lover. This is on its way up to number one. And that was actually Stevie's 10th number one on the pop charts. And I wanted to dedicate this one to my friend Carolyn because she has a dog that, of her friends that she watches sometimes uh, named Emmy. And she calls Emmy her part-time puppy. So she says a little dog song version of this for her. And this was actually the first single off Stevie's 20th album, In Square Circle. As you can guess from the title, it has a theme about cheating. And sometimes I wonder if, like, you know, C.C.B. Wonder seems like a guy that has a kind of a good guy persona. Like, what did people think of him doing this song? But when you listen to the lyrics, the woman he's cheating on is also cheating on him. So it's kind of one of those, what's good for the goose is good for the gander kind of a things. Um, and of note, uh, this was, he was the first artist to have a number one on four separate charts. The pop, R&B, dance, and adult contemporary. Well, that's all from me this week. 
Uh, thanks so much, Andy. I really did enjoy our conversation. Thanks for having me as a guest on the main show. Congratulations on 250 episodes. It's been really great to do my small part for this uh, since February of this year. Right, bye. Thank you, Rachel, for that very cool 80s chart. I was so, so appreciative to have, be able to speak with Rachel one-to-one on the show this week. Really, really cool opportunity. And uh, so, so happy to have her along and part of this podcasting experience. This has been episode 250 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.